This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Alicia Suli. I think you, sometimes you don't really understand somebody's experience until you have it yourself, you know? So like, um, I just want to be upfront before somebody turns off the podcast and they're like, oh, that's so boring. Um, that I used to think that ADHD was like a made up thing. Like just something psychiatry invented to like prescribe meds to people and like get kids all drugged up. And like kids just needed to play and not eat sugar and like eat a wholesome diet and like have parents that were attentive. And it was an ignorant opinion. And I completely mean that in the whole definition of ignorant because it was uninformed. I didn't know any better. And as a lifelong learner, I have no shame in admitting that I had an ignorant opinion. And, uh, you know, you, you know, you can have all the ignorant opinions you want as long as you're willing to learn. <laughs> so, so I'm going to say that. And um, I just want people to know that sometimes, I, like, I guess what I want people to also gain, if you're not a neurodivergent person, is a little bit of understanding for your coworkers or your clients that might have ADHD. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful day and are looking forward to this conversation with Alicia, where we talk all about her experience with neurodivergence and also, also socioeconomic impact on uh, her music therapy career and how that continues to impact our profession as a whole. So obviously these conversations are uh, important in order to acknowledge the challenges within our profession. But Alicia also is wonderful in that she has ideas and aspirations for how to address some of these issues. So if you are feeling called to reach out to her after hearing this conversation um, to share your ideas or to help her with some of the ones we discuss in this episode, all of her contact information will be in the show notes. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a rating interview. Those help the podcast be visible to more people looking for this type of content, and I so appreciate you taking the time to do so. You can also support the show by subscribing so you never miss an episode and checking us out on social media. We are at Music Therapy Chronicles. And if you're interested in behind the scenes, sneak peeks, exclusive content, and staying up to date on everything going on over here at Music Therapy Chronicles, you can join our newsletter. You can find that on our website at musictherapychronicles.com. All right. Let's get into part one of this conversation with Alicia. Mm-hmm. 
right, Alicia, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you so much for having me. I think that this podcast is awesome. I mean, podcasts can be really, really great because they can change your life. I mean, mm. you know, if you, if you find one that's really good and somebody that's really organized like yourself, uh, then then it can be really a gift. So thank you for doing this. Thank you. Those are uh, those are really kind words. I, I appreciate it. The one of the good and bad things about podcasts is it's different than other media platforms because you can't see subscribers or followers or there's nowhere for people to like comment on what you're putting out. You know, it's it's nice because you can't really people can't gauge what I'm doing based on numbers. But it's also hard for me to know, like, what are people thinking? What, you know, what's going on out there? So thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, you got to get those reviews. Working on it. So if you're listening, leave a review. Um, it really helps the show be more visible to, to people looking for this type of content. Yeah. So to start us off, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? And it can be um, both including and excluding music therapy in your life. Whew. Why didn't I make a, a list for this? I was driving here this morning and I like had all these great like one line things and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's so good. And I was like, I should write that down, but I'm driving. And then I was like, I should record it. No, 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 you're driving. You're, you're going to be there in just a second. Like, just calm down. You know, you're going to remember. And um, I don't remember them. So, you know, then I sat down and I was like, I'm going to like make myself some notes and it was just like mind blank. So, okay. So who am I? Um, well, I am a white cisgendered woman living in rural Pennsylvania presently. Um, I come from uh, a socially um, disadvantaged de demographic of uh, being impoverished um, as a child. And so that significantly, well, I'm going to go into that, like as a music therapist, how that, you know, impacts me and my ability to, to be a music therapist and my um, career. Um, I also am a neurodivergent music therapist and business owner. And so um, it's something that I recently learned about myself and I'm gonna be vulnerable on here because I want to help, potentially help somebody that might be out there listening. And because this happens a lot, women, um, getting to be their, their 30s and they find out, or even 50s. I've seen women in, in the ADHD community get to be in their 50s and just find out that their whole life that they could have you know done something about all of their struggles. So I'm going to talk a bit about that because it's a pretty significant part of my identity mm -hmm. um, and uh, just as significant as any other part. So um, I like to garden. I have two children. Uh, a one and a half year old and a six year old and I love to have babies <laughs> and I love being um, a mom and it's a whole other thing to like be a mom with a kid in school by the way like because then you're like then you're like so-and-so's mom and like you lose like your name so <laughs> <laughs> yes. so yeah so that's a thing um, and I love music I love music so much. So I think those things kind of kind of define me um, in a lot of ways. And I'm probably forgetting some, but hey, that's part of my neurodivergent self. So love that. And I, I appreciate you um, 
being open to being vulnerable today and uh, sharing your story because you're so right. There's so many people out there with similar experiences to you and probably not even on the same point uh, along their path. And maybe you'll say something today that will, like we said, you said earlier, might change their life. You know, something might click that hadn't occurred before. So yeah. And the other thing I think um, as somebody with two invisible illnesses that are kind of like, that kind of uh, play against each other. Um, I think you, sometimes you don't really understand somebody's experience until you have it yourself, yeah. you know? So like, um, I just want to be upfront before somebody turns off the podcast and they're like, oh, that's so boring. Um, <laughs> that I used to think that ADHD was like a made up thing. Oh. Like just something psychiatry invented to like prescribe meds to people and like get kids all drugged up. And like kids just needed to play and not eat sugar and like eat a wholesome diet and like have parents that were attentive. And it was an ignorant opinion. And I completely mean that in the whole definition of ignorant because it was uninformed. I didn't know any better. And as a lifelong learner, I have no shame in admitting that I had an ignorant opinion. And, uh, you know, you, you know, you can have all the ignorant opinions you want as long as you're willing to learn. (laughs) So, so I'm going to say that. And, um, I just want people to know that sometimes like, I guess what I want people to to also gain, if you're not a neurodivergent person, is a little bit of understanding for your coworkers or your clients that might have ADHD. Mm. All right. So um, usually I ask people about their music therapy journey, like how they found it and got to where they are. But if you're like on a train of thought, I want to let you go with that, too. Um, So you you pick either tell us how you found music therapy or tell us what is on your mind and where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to do it. Either way, it's fine. I'm flexible. That's one of the benefits of ADHD. (laughs) So I can roll with it. Um, and if I get on a train of thought, it doesn't have brakes. So don't worry. You, you totally, <laughs> no anyway, it might, it might crash, but it doesn't have brakes anyways. Um, okay. My music therapy journey. So I never thought I would be a music therapist. The first thing I wanted to be was a rapper like left eye from TLC. I thought that she was really cool. And, um, <laughs> uh, then I wanted to be a classical flute player. I wanted to be a, a symphonic flute player because I was good at it. Um, I, I, the first time I ever saw a piccolo, I was like, I want to play that piccolo. Like it was, um, the beginning, I don't know. I was in like elementary school and they brought like the eighth grade band in, like they like played a song and I saw that piccolo and I was like, that's what I want. I want to play that. And so I go to the band director. I'm like, that's what I want. And she's like, first you must master the flute. (laughs) And I'm like, fine, I'll master the flute gauntlet down. Like I'm doing this. So I was like that kid, like I was like practicing like every day, staying after school, like doing all this stuff. I, I, I was always passionate about the flute. And um, eventually in high school, I finally got a piccolo and somebody stole it. So then I didn't have a piccolo. And then like eventually I got another piccolo and I went to Albuquerque to be in the National High School Flute Choir because um, I got into that two years in a row and um, I lost my piccolo in Albuquerque. So <laughs> then I didn't have a piccolo again. But anyways, so uh, during high school, I worked at this uh, 
village. It was a retirement village and I was a food server and a housekeeper. And I loved like interacting with the um, people that lived there and just getting to know them and stuff. And um, when I went to college and I was trying to, uh, I got into Berkeley College of Music. When I got there, I was, um, you know, practicing like million hours a day and stuff like in a room by myself and after a while I was kind of like this sucks like mm. <laughs> this is really lonely and uh, I felt like I needed more of a purpose and I needed to be helping people somehow and just then randomly I went to a party with my friends which was weird because I don't actually like I'm not like a party drinking person and I never have been but I went because my friends were going and they like disappeared and I was just like waiting by the exit, which was also the entrance, you know, of the house, just waiting to leave. And there was this person, it was a Halloween party, dressed as an old lady. So I'm like, hello, ma'am, like, how old are you? <laughs> and it turned out to be a music therapist, an expressive arts therapist that worked at a um, day program for people with dementia. And they were like, uh, the, he was like, you know, do you want to come and check out a group? So I did. And then I realized that music therapy was not just for people who couldn't hack it as performers, but that it was actually this whole magical thing and required quite a bit of musical acumen. Mm. So uh, that's when I went back to Berkeley and was like, need to change my major. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Um... I, my mind is on an unimportant tangent, but I guess I'll share it. Um, someone I interviewed yesterday went to Berkeley, like, uh, he must have been there in the 80s, I think he said, but they didn't have a music therapy program at that time. He he is a pianist, but um, people will hear that episode. So it's just interesting. I, I said in that recording, I was like, I, I wonder when Berkeley's music therapy program started. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because now it's, it's pretty stable, I'd say, or, you know, it's... Um, but I was surprised that it wasn't there when he was there. But I digress. That's not important. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so you went to Berkeley and then then you went back out to Pennsylvania, right? So. Yeah, so I went to Berkeley and um, so I don't I, I, I it's hard to tease apart. Sometimes uh, people with ADHD also have like complex PTSD from childhood, which mm -hmm. I also have had, I don't know, I feel like it's like resolved in a lot of ways, but then also there are some ways that like a lifelong learner, you're just always going to be like uh, learning how to be better at it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. So, so um, I want, what I wanted to do, my dream was to go out and intern with Music Works in California, because I noticed that some really good music therapists interned there. And I knew I wanted to be a music therapy business owner and have my own schedule, like somewhere inside of me. But um, I kind of decided that like, I wasn't good enough to do it, mm. you know? And um, I kind of felt like drawn back to kind of be near my family. And there was like all this family drama and it was just like an extremely difficult time in my life um, because my siblings, were um my siblings are like way younger than me and they were going through a really hard time and um here's the key with having a diagnosis right this is why you want to know that you have adhd if you if you have it because mm -hmm. um i don't have as much of a filter and i also um like 
get stuck on things. So it's not just an attention deficit, but it can be a surplus of attention. Mm -hmm. You might get like stuck on something. Um, so I would get like stuck, like ruminating about my family and like trying to like figure out like what to do, how to save my siblings from this, you know, difficult situation. And, um, like I didn't know it, but it was pissing off people in the office that I would talk about it or that I'd be all stressed out and focused on it. And I didn't know. It. During this conversation, Alicia shared some more details of this professional experience and those details she has asked to keep personal, but these are insights and outcomes that we can all learn from. But then they were like, hey, like, you know, um, you're not behaving professionally and maybe we should just like kick you out. And I was like, what? Like, why would you not tell me before? And I was like, well, all you had to do was like, tell me, yeah. <laughs> like I can do whatever hmm. I need to do. You know, I'm a smart and capable person. I just lack a little bit of self-awareness at times, you know? <laughs> so like, um, if I had known that, and the other thing I was really preoccupied with, I was just trying to get a job because I thought that, um, my student debt would be okay because once I got out of college, I would get a job that would pay me enough to pay all my bills and my student loans. Yeah, that's a fantasy, right? For like a lot of people. Mm. And like I went to Berkeley, but like I said, uh, being impoverished and also like I got like I got some scholarships because I was a really good flute player. You know, I was really good. Not anymore because I have all this other stuff that comes first, but man, it's not heartbreaking, like adulting and oh, letting your Use passion it or lose fly. it. <laughs> yeah. Right. But anyway, um, hold on. My train went off the track. My train of thought. You're talking so, about professionalism. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they were like, and then like my advisor at Berkeley was like, well, you know what? Why don't we just, why don't you just go out to California and do that internship you wanted to do? Mm. Why don't you just do that? And I was like, oh, I can't afford that. Like I have an apartment with a lease and like not a lot of money. And I mean, people are like, just get a part-time job, but come on. If you work 20 hours a week, making $8 an hour, was it really worth it? Like when you could have been like practicing being a good music therapist? Ah, mm. uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, some people say yes. Um, but I don't know. Uh, so anyways, I, it was just too overwhelming for me and I just felt like I couldn't do it. Then I kept trying to find music therapy jobs and I just couldn't, I just couldn't find any music therapy jobs. Um, there was one job that was like saying, said they were going to hire me and then they like never called back. And then I found out that that hospital was just like really disorganized. <laughs> and so that's something that we also should talk about, right? Because the state of healthcare in the United States it's a mess. Mm. Okay. Like it's a big mess, but that doesn't mean music therapists shouldn't get paid. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I want to make sure that we, we talk about that because I have some ideas. Um, and I don't know, they might be ideas other people have had. They might be like, there might be some committee I don't even know about because like who can know everything? I don't mm. know. I can't keep up with it all. But, um, anyways, so I didn't find a job right away. And so I got impatient and me and my I got married during my internship 
Might have been a little impulsive. Might have been. Again, see, it would have been helpful to know, like, hey, Alicia, by the way, like, you have, like, this whole way that your brain works. And a lot of people do. It's cool. But, like, you might be a little impulsive. Like, might be good to know. Because, mm. <laughs> like, on the surface, it, a lot of ways, it doesn't seem like I'm impulsive. I'm really responsible with money. Like, I'm really responsible with, like, a lot of things. You know, like I said, I don't, like, drink or do drugs or anything. And, you know, so you would be like, Where, what, where's this impulsivity? But um, got married during my internship. So we moved out to rural Pennsylvania where I had no community connections really. Didn't really know too many people. We had a couple friends here and I uh, figured I'll just start my own business. I'll just start my own solo practice. Well, that's a slow process. Yeah. It's not like, bam, you've got enough clients to pay the bills. So I had to pay the bills. So I had to work at a job to support my music therapy habit. That's how I refer to it. So I got this, like, just this job that, like, paid okay and, like, could help me pay my bills. But it didn't give me time to do music therapy. I mean, I kind of had weird hours, so I could kind of, like, go and, like, meet with decision makers and stuff. But it wasn't getting me anywhere. So I left that job after a while. And as soon as I left, bam there was a music therapy job advertised per diem. Perfect. So I applied for that job and I got that job and I was working there and I was so happy working there per diem. It was at a um, acute psychiatric hospital and, uh, Oh, I was so happy there. Like I had all these friends, like the people I worked with were just awesome and I was having fun. I mean, the place was kind of a mess. Like the management was really, stressful. Like if I had been there full time, it would have been a lot more stressful, but mm. being per diem, I could work on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So it gave me a break from like the management stress. But, um, anyway, so I worked there for a while and then I found, um, uh, I had around the time I had started that job. I also applied to, um, work at the state the state hospitals have music therapy position or a position that music therapists are eligible for. And so when an opening happened, it takes them like six to 12 months to fill an opening. Wow. It's like this big bureaucratic thing. So it took a long time. And, um, Oh, also as soon as I started that music therapy job, I became surprised pregnant. <laughs> this is a thing that happens. Like I had no idea that this was going to happen to me. And it happened and I was like totally like shocked and kind of horrified, <laughs> but it's cool. Like, I mean, I like, I had wanted a baby at some point, so it was okay. He's beautiful. He's in kindergarten now, but anyway, so then I went and, um, um, I had this decision I had to make to leave my per diem job and work full time because it paid more. It had all these benefits and it was closer to my house. That job was not good for me because ADHD, because that job, and you, you, you're familiar with this position, <laughs> a little bit. but they don't want people that have big ideas and big dreams. Mm. They want people to show up exactly on time or early, which is not something I excel at, although I was early for this interview today. Um, and they want somebody who's just going to do what the, the box, they fit in the box. Here's your box, fit into it. Like, don't ask questions. We don't even, you know, you can be seen but not heard kind of thing. Mm. And um, it just was this totally soul-crushing position for somebody like me. So now I have my own business. I left that job because I was like, I have too many ideas. There's so many people in my community that music therapy could help. Like 
We got babies up in the NICU. We got people that have had a stroke and, and they can't even talk after their stroke. Like, that's terrible. What if music therapy could help them? What if there's like one person out there that like wasn't going to speak for the rest of their life, but music therapy could have helped, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, there's like kids uh, in school and like the best that they have to offer them is ABA. Like, what? Like, what, what about music therapy? So, so I just couldn't, I just couldn't sit still in there. So, <laughs> so I left that job and guess what happened, Trisha? Boom. I became surprised pregnant. <laughs> I so, see a pattern here. <laughs> yeah. Every time, every time, like I get on a roll, baby time. But anyways, the other two things that happened in this time, uh, while I was working at that full-time job that was soul crushing, I got into a car accident and I got like this little tiny bump on my head and like I knew I had a concussion because I know what the signs of a concussion are, but I figured concussions go away. I'll be fine. Mm. And I was like kind of not fine. Like it had a lot of problems. And like I said about invisible illnesses, like I looked fine. Like I have two legs that work. Like I had like a bruised knee, but no big deal. Like I have like my arms work. Like I'm walking around, I'm talking like, but like, not all the words are there, but you know, people are like, whatever, you're fine. But I had, um, vestibular problems, which as I describe it is like hell. It's a level of hell. Definitely like a deep, dark level of hell to have vestibular problems. Um, and I had to go to physical therapy for that. And I went to vision therapy for like, I don't know, some visual field issues. And, um, then when I was just about to be discharged from vision therapy, three years after the first car accident, I was, uh, which was somebody rear-ending me, by the way, not, I'm not a reckless driver. Um, <laughs> I was going to work again and this guy hit me head on. He was fleeing from the police and while I was pregnant, mind you. So <laughs> I had left my full-time job and then I got pregnant and then I was nine weeks pregnant when I was struck head on, um, by a reckless driver. So then I got another concussion and, um, I was, uh, I had just signed on to teach two courses at Marywood and, uh, that I started teaching three days after that car accident. And I feel so bad for those students. Like if any of them are listening, like I was so disorganized, but like, what are you going to do? Cause I didn't know, maybe I was going to get better. Everybody said like, Maybe you don't even have a concussion. Concussions get better in 10 to 14 days. No big deal. Right. But like, I still have cognitive issues from those car accidents. And, um, this is something I wouldn't have known if it didn't happen to me. And I'm, you know, I'm not grateful for the car accidents, but it helped me understand my patients with cognitive issues. Mm. The people with, um, schizophrenia, a lot of times, You know, I didn't understand that they like did not have the capacity to pay attention, that it's not a choice. You know what I mean? Um, Or that like people might not have the capacity for planning and and making decisions and these executive functions and these higher level things that require so much organization. Um, So people can appear totally fine and they're like, you know, they have some deficits. So. Anyways, um, after that first car accident was when I was diagnosed with ADHD because they were like, hmm, 
okay, you've been to all these therapies, but like there may be some attention and memory deficits, you know? So I went and like the test, I mean, I don't know if I passed with flying colors or if you want to say that like I totally failed, but like either way, the results were like kind of extreme <laughs> for the attention and memory. And um, so that's when they were like, oh, you have ADHD because of the concussion. And I was like, oh, like that's not a thing, like whatever. And I was like, I can't have ADHD. I have a master's degree. Uh, you know, I went to Colorado State University. I totally was in denial of the fact that I struggled to do video courses because one of my accommodations for ADHD that I didn't know I had, my whole life I would always sit right in front of the class if I could. You know, I, I like developed like little ways to keep myself attentive and awake because um, I would be prone to falling asleep otherwise or like, you know, my mind would wander. But with a video class, there's nothing to like stimulate the, mm -hmm. you know, like there's nothing that like keep me hooked. So I struggled hardcore with my uh, master's degree because it was online. And why was it online? Because I couldn't afford to relocate to do a program, right? Yeah. Can't afford to do that because I couldn't afford to, you know, my, my dream PhD program is in Philly. It's only three or four hours away, right? There's a lot of traffic and bad driving. And how can you hold a full-time job if you're going down there multiple times a week, you know, three or four hour drive? And I get fatigued with drives now, mm -hmm. you know? Anyways, um, getting back to this, econo this economic issue, right? Um, so it's, it's not just a problem to, you know, not get paid during internship, which is tough because, you know, there, you know, then people are like the counter argument as well. Are interns like actually like adding value? Like, can you really charge for it? And I think, yeah, I mean, for the second half, you should be able to charge mm -hmm. something, uh, one of my friends with a private practice um, charges like $25 a session for intern clients or something. It's just, it's kind of like the like scholarship program that yeah. they have, you know? Um, but, you know, like this economic issue really impacts you for your whole life because you don't have generational wealth. The economic privilege really impacts you because um, it, it's, it'll, it'll stick with me probably for my whole life unless I... I don't know, like married into a generational wealth family, right? So um, I was thinking that our community of music therapists could really benefit from collaboration. And I know I might get some angry messages about this because music therapists do charge for things such as things that they have developed, like documentation forms and stuff like that. And yes, that's your labor. You can charge for that. But I had this idea. What if we collaborated as a community to develop documentation forms that we could share across the profession and make things more standardized? Mm. What if we collaborated and we were like, you know what? Here are the forms um, that you can use for psych. You know, here are some forms that you can use if you work in a memory care unit. You know, I mean, we're all capable of developing these forms because we were trained to do it, I hope. Um, your training program did that. But it's hard to squish everything into there, yeah. into your training program. And um, maybe you're a little disorganized like me, and you did not maybe save all of your college 
papers in organized folders. Or maybe you did, but now you don't know where they are because you moved like a bunch of times. I don't know. But I think, I think if we collaborated, that it might even help us with, with reimbursement. Mm. If we collaborated as a profession and we were like, all right, this group of people is going to like, you know, at will come up with this form and like people can adjust it. I don't know. Maybe it requires a level of organization that's not possible. There's probably some reason that my idea hasn't panned out already, but I just think that we have to find some way to make it so that music therapists can afford to exist. Because I've heard from so many music therapists like, yeah, well, I couldn't be a music therapist if my husband didn't have the job with benefits or my husband didn't have the job that made enough to pay for our house, Mm -hmm. you know, or like, what are these jobs for 40 grand? You know, 40 grand, is that really what we're shooting for? Like, I mean, I live in a really low living cost area and I've made 40 grand. And like, it was while my husband was also working and making like a good amount of money. And like, we're just paying our bills, buddy. Like (laughs) nobody's buying a big screen TV or putting in a pool. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What is this? If 40 grand's okay, I guess if you're like entering the profession, it's your first year, you're just getting your feet wet. But like, if you have a master's degree and you're trying to pay for that and you've got that extra level of experience or you've been in the field for five years, that's totally unacceptable. Like, I, I mean, when I went to physical therapy, uh, they were billing $750 an hour to my car insurance. Have you ever billed $750 an hour? No. <laughs> I wish like, I mean, she was a PhD physical therapist, but I remember, I have, I don't think I've looked at the latest workforce analysis, but the last one I looked at it, actually the amount of money that you make on average went down $500 for every level of education that you had. And I was like, what, (laughs) what, what is this? So, I mean, we got to do something about this because we're losing people. People are getting burnt out. It's an intense profession. Everybody that's listening to this knows that. Well, I think uh, what you said about documentation, and as you said in the beginning, maybe there is a committee that's out there doing this kind of stuff. But how many times do you see a forum post where people are asking, you know, I want to bill insurance in this state. Who has had success with it? Uh, I've heard, you know, some people are like, this is what I did and this is what worked. But also a lot of people say, this is what I tried and it didn't work. So I don't think it's worth my time. But like you said, if there is a committee that was, you know, figured out, had the time and resources to figure out the steps to do that and could make it maybe not the same across the board, every state's a little different. But if there were like some guidelines available, excuse me, uh, how many more? And there's more and more private practice owners in our field. So how many more private practice owners would be able to take that? Because it's already there. It's already available. They don't need to put in the time and resources. Take that and start billing insurance to be able to reach more people, to be able to pay their employees or their subcontractors better, um, to make things more accessible. You know, I know in the state I live in, all the schools that have music therapists to my knowledge, every single one of those positions is a contracted position. So those schools are getting bids every year 
for a different contract and like there's not stability in that for the students there's not stability for the people taking those positions um but if there were other ways to get funding for those types of things you know we'd be helping ourselves we'd be helping the community at large and we'd be helping the profession you know people would stay and we'd be able to grow together and it's not a new question but no. like <laughs> why why can't we get reimbursed? Like mm. sometimes I look at the evidence base for things that do get reimbursed and it's like, what? Like, <laughs> really? Like that's, that's what we're, we're up against. Like, this is ridiculous. But like we said, why waste time on that? That's it's, it's not a new problem. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody must be figuring a way out for this, but uh, you know, if you look at what other people are charging, you know, um, it's a lot more than what we do, what we charge. And so I think, I don't know, the, the focus needs to be on providing, you know, that service that's worth that, but also charging something that you are worth. And maybe it's a, it's cause we're a profession of mostly women. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, like nurses make a good amount of money. I think I'd make more if I were a nurse actually. Um, nurses make a good amount of money. Is it because they're in demand? You know, mm. why are we not in demand? We should be a hella in demand because there's not that many music therapists. And uh, there's a lot of people that could really benefit from music therapy. Maybe it's because people don't value quality of life in our culture mm. <laughs> in America. I don't know. But that's my ADHD big idea that probably won't come to fruition. But luckily, I have a memory deficit, so I will forget all about it and avoid being disappointed. <laughs> oh, gosh. What a way to close that up. Well, I hope not. I hope that uh, either someone reaches out and says, hey, this community exists and this is what we're doing, or they reach out to you and say, hey, we want this committee to exist and let's make it happen. Um, so I um, I found, I think um, this is, this is on, our, our, on our list of things to talk about. I, um, I found a neurologist to be a champion for music therapy in my area. Love that. So a lot of times I sit here and I'm like, why aren't you successful, Alicia? Gosh, like, what's your problem? And like, so I'll talk to all these other music therapists and I'm like, why are you successful? Why are you successful? I'm like, okay, I did that. Okay, I did that. And then like a lot of times it boils down to finding the right person to say yes. Mm. You know, just finding that person that's in the position um, that can, you know, refer people to you or say yes to your, you know, budgetary thing. Um, I found a neurologist. So I had one client and I had a Parkinson's singing program over the summer. And I was so depressed because I was like, I only have two things to do. But then I was also like kind of happy just to spend time with my baby and like not feel super guilty about not working because like, you know, pandemic and everything and singing and anyway, business not established. So, um, because just as I was coming back from maternity leave and I had all these hot leads and all these prospects and all these things going on, um, surprise COVID, pandemic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I'm like, maybe you just like have kind of like bad luck about things. I don't know. So, um, so I'm, I'm like always thinking like, Oh, like what did you do wrong? And, and a lot of times it's not that it's like, haven't found the right person that's mm. in a position to say yes. So I had this client and they mentioned that um, their spouse had this really great neurologist. So I'm like, oh, cool, cool. And then I had this uh, 
no, no, it was for my Parkinson's group. I'm like, yeah, like, how'd you find out about the group? And they're like, oh, my neurologist. So I went to suggest a neurologist to my client whose spouse needed a neurologist. And um, they were like, oh yeah, that's, that's our doctor. Like, she's really good. And I'm like, really? So then I had some contacts and with, you know, like who could get me the information. Cause it's like, how do you even get their email address? You know? So I got the email address for this neurologist and they're like, yeah, let's talk about it. So I get the phone call and I'm like, oh my God, like here I am trying to pitch the music therapy and like, um, you know, it's, it's so hard. Cause like my brain's always going to like some tangent that like it doesn't need to because of the, not only the ADHD, but also car accidents, you know, concussion stuff. So anyway, so I did talk to the neurologist and like that went okay. And then they invited me to talk to the whole neurology department and get this, explain music therapy, what it is, who can provide it and um, who can benefit from it and how to refer in five minutes. Lovely. <laughs> Talk yeah. about elevator speech. Exactly. So, I mean, it was longer than an elevator speech, but like to like 50 doctors wow. and providers. So I was like, okay, so I did it. And um, afterward, like, I was like, man, I probably said something stupid, but once again, I don't remember. Um, and <laughs> the neurologist was like, wow, like I was so nervous. Like my heart was racing the whole time. How did you stay so calm? Love that. So yeah, so it was kind of funny because, oh, I want to say two things. Uh, so one, this neurologist was like, um, you know, does it treat headaches? Can music therapy help people with headaches? And I said, I am not aware of any literature that suggests this. Maybe there is some, but I don't know. Like I'm a mom, like I have way less time to read literature now. Mm. I try to keep up on it, but it's really got to be like, I need that right now. <laughs> you know, I can't be reading something about some population I don't work with. I, I don't have the time, you know, so, or after car accidents, the like cognitive capacity to comprehend. So that's really tough. Anyways. Um, so they, that neurologist then went and Googled and they found a music therapy study that wasn't actually music therapy. Oh Yeah. So that was like kind of a bummer. Um, anyways, so I want to say something about the reimbursement. So um, I told these neurologists, I'm like, yeah, like I'll try to bill insurance. Sure, I'll try this. I totally put my foot in my mouth because who are they referring older adults? What insurance do older adults have? Medicare. What blanket denies music therapy? Medicare. Yay. So, so I'm getting all these people and I'm like trying to do the insurance billing and I knew it wasn't going to be worth it, but like, I just needed to establish a practice. Like mm. I just needed to have something. And because my Parkinson's group, it pays just enough to like completely have me not eligible for unemployment. So yes, I had to keep, you know, but like, it's okay. I, I mean, even though I kind of screwed myself in the short term doing the Parkinson's group, in the long term, it's going to work out because mm -hmm. I'm, you know, building a name for my business and I'm helping people. So it's okay. I, I'm happy because it's, it's helping people. So anyway, um, I've been submitting these insurances. Finally, it got around to that the insurances, I had been led to believe that I could become a preferred provider or whatever the in-network thing is. Um, I had been led to believe I could do that by an insurance biller. 
And then he was like, actually, it's not possible. So I was like, I tried to tell you that, buddy. Why'd you waste my time? Uh, but what happened was I found out you can submit reimbursement after if you have the client pay first, they can submit for reimbursement. So I had this one client and um, I saw them on February 3rd. Today is April 3rd. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I submitted, I billed them, they paid privately. I submitted for reimbursement. And yesterday I got a phone call and they're like, Hey, do you opt out of Medicare? And I was like, what? Well, I'm like, well, Medicare doesn't pay for music therapy, but I don't opt out. Like if they want to pay me, I'll take it, you know? And they're like, okay, well, it looks like this claim is going to go through and your client's going to get reimbursed. And I was like, okay, thanks. Bye. You know? <laughs> don't change your mind. Okay. Bye. <laughs> but, um, anyways, so, so, uh, I didn't like, I'm always afraid to jinx things. So mm -hmm. I didn't say anything to the client. I'm just going to like hope that they like get a check in the mail and they're like, cool. You know what I mean? And I don't want anybody getting disappointed if yeah. like something were to happen. I'm actually afraid that I even, I mentioned it on here and now I'm afraid that like somehow that's going to. Good. It's good vibrations out. going out. It's going to happen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and gained some insight. I so appreciated Alicia's recognition at the beginning of her initial, as she says, ignorance towards um, the diagnosis of ADHD and now her ability to relate to the experience, how it has impacted her and both professionally and personally. So, and also, as I said in this interview, um, I love that she emphasizes how there are challenges that come with you know, such a diagnosis, but there are also lots of strengths that come with it and both deserve to be recognized. So if you are listening to this episode and feel that you've had some of the similar experiences to Alicia, I hope this empowers you to know that you're not alone in your experience. Uh, of course, as I said before, if you are interested in collaborating with Leisha on you know, documentation or for reimbursement or other ideas that we discussed in this episode, you can find her contact information in the show notes. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, the best way to do that is to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Um, and please consider leaving us a rating and review. Those help the show so much and I appreciate them. I would love to be able to read some more ratings on or reviews on the back ends of episodes and create a dialogue. If you're interested in having a conversation or starting a conversation about one of the show topics, you can do so on our Facebook group. We are at Music Therapy Chronicles on Facebook and on Instagram, which is, um, probably the best way to stay the most up-to-date, if that makes sense. <laughs> Over on Instagram, I post headshots of the guests, quotes from the show, um, key takeaways, and tangible action steps you can take. So lots of awesome content over there. If you're interested in 
um, asking questions to future guests, you can do that by becoming a patron on patreon.com. And to know who the upcoming guests are, you can be on Patreon, or you can join our newsletter, which is accessible on our website at musictherapychronicles.com. And lastly, if you're interested in earning continuing education credits as a music therapist for the time you have spent listening to the show, you can check out our pod courses over on MT Podcast Collective. Uh, That's online and on social media where Kate, Shannon, and I and future... Uh, Coming up, we have more collaborators are creating podcast-based courses so that you can earn CMTEs for listening to the show. We have lots more exciting offerings coming up over there. So definitely check out MT Podcast Collective to stay up to date on all those things as well. And if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, please let me know by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode and stay tuned for the second half of my conversation with Alicia next week. Our quote this week comes from Athena Sign. Never trust your fears. They don't know your strength. Mm-hmm.